Hello and welcome to the Elevate Music podcast. I'm Lucy Heyman and in this episode we're talking about mental health and social media. I spoke to beatboxer SK Shlomo about his experiences with mental health, vulnerability online and why he believes social media saved his life. Just a quick warning, this episode contains potentially sensitive content as SK Shlomo mentions at one point how he was considering taking his own life. I then spoke to Stephen Buckley from the mental health charity Mind and Stephen outlined a number of services that Mind offer that can be really helpful if you're struggling and he also gave lots of helpful advice. So to begin with, let's hear from SK Shlomo. I did this TED talk earlier this year, which we ended up calling it How Social Media Saved Me From Suicide. The story talks about how I'd had this really, really chaotic lifestyle throughout my whole adult life, being a touring artist and kind of reaching these dizzying heights at quite a young age and kind of getting really used to like things like performing in front of thousands of people or working with people like Bjork or Ed Sheeran or Damon Albarn and that just becoming like totally normalised but being terrified to share the real fear I had of not really being good enough. And then when I actually stopped touring for the first time in my adult life because I wanted to make an album, my mental health really plummeted. And part of that was because I'd kind of finally stopped running. Like I'd used the constant adrenaline of touring to just keep myself going in a way. And then when I stopped, I just had this collapse of exhaustion. And then I did a lot, a bunch of work around it and got a bunch of help and was feeling quite a lot stronger to the point where I was ready to like start talking about what I'd been through. And I did a, a crowdfunding campaign for my album, which had ended up being a record about mental health and about raising mental health awareness. And then I received a really brutal trolling one day from someone who I guess was having a hard time themselves, but kind of really went for my vulnerable spots and I got in a really bad way after that and was essentially suicidal. But what had changed was since I'd been open about my vulnerability online, I'd kind of, without trying to, it wasn't the plan, but I'd created this big support network and people had been checking in with me every day. People who I knew, family and friends and also strangers would, were checking in with me every day. And, and then I got a message just as I was in this kind of whirlwind of, you know, quite dangerous place, high risk place. I just got some support unsolicited, which really helped me just be honest about it and then that kind of turned my world around because I felt like I could share it rather than hide it. Gradually through the support I got I decided to just declare it and be even more open and and be even more vulnerable and share even more about what I'd been through and that ended up sending my crowdfunding campaign like really viral and I got like this huge international surge of support and meant we raised a bunch of money and awareness and I got to make the album so I was really proud. So I made all that into a TED talk and try and encourage people to to be vulnerable because I feel like the thing with social media is it gets a real bad reputation in, in relation to mental health, especially with young people, because we all feel like we're trying to compete with it. other people's filtered perfect lifestyle that people tend to portray on social media. But if we can change the way we use social media, it doesn't need to be so toxic. I don't think social media is the problem. I think it's the way we use it to pretend that we're doing differently to how we are like it's great to share your wins that's lovely beautiful we want to see that but also if we can be really honest as well on there and share when we're having a harder time then we're more able to feel that we're safe to be honest ourselves or do you know what I mean we're more likely to be able to support each other so I'm really happy I did that on social media because since then like I say I get unsolicited support all the time and people talk to me all the time about real issues rather than feeling like they've got to pretend to be coping when they're not. 
So it now sounds like you're quite comfortable sharing that vulnerability on social media. What was it like the first time that you sort of took yourself out of that comfort zone and thought, right, I'm going to share something of myself? Like, was that quite scary? Can you tell us about the process? I'd kind of gradually done it. Like I gradually was like hinting about it. And I was doing these slightly longer form vlogs where I was doing like a 10 minute vlog. And so I could talk a little bit about it in there, but it was kind of neatly hidden inside this longer video, which only people who really care would be watching. So that kind of found that slightly safer way to do it. And then when I eventually did the big reveal, and that was when I launched the crowdfunding campaign. And then that was quite a scary day. And it was also scary because we launched the campaign that morning. And then I had a big show that evening, where we kind of launched the campaign to the public. So it was all happening on one day, like virtually and physically. And it was quite hard that day, because as soon as I started to talk about it, people wanted to talk to me about it. And then I had this kind of queue of people after the show who wanted to hug me, which is lovely. But then a lot of them wanted to talk about quite heavy stuff. Like specifically, the thing I found hardest was people wanting to talk about losing people to suicide which was all still so recent for me. So like it was at first I was a bit like, have I made some massive mistake here? Am I going to be able to cope with this? But as I gradually learned that they weren't necessarily asking me to like hold their weight for them or fix anything or do anything at all. They just wanted to be heard. Like then I found that a lot easier because I was just like, oh man, that sounds really hard and I can relate to how it feels. And that's all they really wanted to hear. Then it just got easier and easier from that point. I think suicide is something that we don't really speak about. And it's it's really difficult to bring it up, isn't it, with your mates and actually say, I'm, you know, I'm actually thinking this way. Um, did you find any support with that? Like, did you find any way you could go or could you speak to anyone about it? Initially, I spoke to my own partner who's really, really supportive. And she's also been open about her mental health as well. So she was really supportive and encouraged me to get professional help. And then I got some support from BAPAM, which is a charity, British Association of Performing Arts Medicine. Working with BAPAM, the charity, they managed to refer me to someone who knew all about the world of being a performer, which I felt much safer with because I didn't feel like I had to spend half the time just trying to explain what it's like being a musician. Do you know what I mean? It's like such a different life to what most people would call normal. So then that was really helpful. At the beginning, you were saying about how you were running really hard and you were achieving all these things that were just, you know, kind of beyond the comprehension of most people, you know, working with Ed Sheeran and and people like that. Can you tell us what is it like when you're just, you know, a normal human being being thrown into these kind of really intense experience? Can you tell us what it's like to experience that? It's a real thrill. So then that could be quite addictive in itself. But a lot of people have talked about this as well as myself about the lows that follow because you get these big waves it's kind of like tidal waves of movement and like adoration and all the stuff that you dreamed of as a kid but then it can all quite quickly stop because you know you get home or the show finishes or whatever it is and you can kind of find yourself crashing down and I really struggled with that because I started to feel like I'd created this like superhuman persona that people believed was real on stage I felt really powerful and then I'd feel like I tricked everybody and that if anybody found the real me that they'd be disgusted by it and I, I felt quite disgusted by who I really was and that was really hard so then you'd end up like just trying to keep the feeling going which in itself can be quite risky when you're a young musician doing well like you get kind of plied with whatever you need or want in terms of like alcohol and drugs and that that can make things harder too. Yeah, I think it's very easy to think that 
life would be amazing if we could all fulfill our dreams if we could be you know celebrities or whatever and as you say the the reality is a lot more nuanced could you tell me about the effects of touring because I know you mentioned that when you came off tour you know you were touring for an extensive period of time and when you came off tour you know effectively things came crashing down can you tell us more about what it's like to to be on the road almost semi-permanently which is like what it sounded like you were the touring thing is complicated because your life revolves around these very high intensity moments and you get kind of a huge amount of validation of what well, I do anyway, off of like getting up on stage. And then it's all super exhausting. It's super hard to like keep your body healthy when you're traveling a lot. But like, I think for me, the main thing is like believing that the only way you can be validated is through these huge waves of validation that you get from strangers. So like, for me, a lot of the work in terms of recovery and healing has been learning to like validate myself away from all of that, like just being a human being, just being alive, someone who can breathe and and exist is enough. Like, so I get back off tour and then it'd be a bit of a crash down to earth. Like, oh, someone's got to do the washing up and empty the bins. Like, I'm still just a normal human being. And then that didn't feel like good enough in comparison to this sort of superhuman stage performance persona. So yeah, for me, a lot of it was just like learning to just stay still and accepting that that is why you're special, not because of the other stuff. The other stuff is also lovely, but doesn't you don't need it in order to be okay. Do you think the music industry environment kind of endorses that idea of, you know, you're saying about the sort of external validation and stuff? Do you think you were in an environment where you could have just been enough just as you were? Or did you feel that the environment contributed to that? Yeah, I think the environment contributed to that, especially when I was younger. Like, I feel like there was a couple of waves, really, because the first wave of my career was like a real, real whirlwind. And I kind of quite deliberately ended that first phase. uh, And that was a long time ago. That was like 10 years ago. And that's when I stopped drinking. So I've been clean and sober for a decade. And so I definitely knew something was wrong and took some responsibility there. And then I felt less kind of under the control of the industry because I started doing things on my own terms. I started saying no to things and I started like shaping my career the way I wanted to. But I feel like the underlying causes of me being susceptible to that had never been healed. Like I didn't let my alcohol addiction ruin my life but I didn't heal the cause of why I was prone to becoming addicted to alcohol do you see what I mean so I don't think I would blame anyone or the music industry or or anything at all like it's really complicated but it is if you are someone who is prone to being at risk there which a lot of musical and creative types are then the music industry can be a dangerous place to be I know in your TED talk, you were saying that when you were really struggling, you didn't tell anyone about it. Could you tell us more about that? Do you think that's a common thing in the music industry? There's a real culture of, yeah, I'm doing great. And I've got this many gigs and I've got that many streams and this many followers. And like, you end up comparing yourself a lot to um, other artists and I don't think that ever goes away. Like I watched a TED talk the other day by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he's a Hollywood actor, and he, he was saying how uh, with social media, that kind of anxiety about how much following you've got like never really goes away. And that's kind of how social media is designed because if we all stop caring about how many followers we get, then 
the whole bubble of social media will burst and the big companies can't make money out of us anymore. But he was saying, I'm not going to share with you how many Instagram followers I've got because I'm ashamed by the number. And I, I immediately paused it and Googled it and he, he's got over a million followers. And I'm like, okay, so he was illustrating that point really well, that that feeling never goes away. Like even if you've got a million followers, you're still going to think that's not enough. So yeah, I think for me feeling like I couldn't tell anyone that I was struggling is all kind of linked in with that. Like it's like, it's a culture of shame that we've all grown up with. But then, yeah, for me, like talking about it was, was a really strong way to start to strip away that shame. I think we've both been working in the music industry for a sort of similar amount of time. And I mean, I've, I've definitely seen attitudes change towards mental health from my sort of more business side of things. Can you tell me as an artist, do you feel that things have changed in terms of industry support and conversations and services that are available to you? Yeah, I think there's been a real change in, in the music industry. Like I've just, for example, since I started talking about it, I've been asked to speak on so many panels and and do so many interviews just like this one where like people are talking about mental health and that's really great. So the awareness is raising and yeah, and the appetite for the conversation is surging. Like I, d- I decided during my uh, crowdfunding campaign, I decided to do like a series of live streams. So I just sat people down, other creative people and started talking about how mental health and creativity kind of interweave. And on the first episode, I uh, Jason Mraz, who's a Grammy winning singer songwriter and 95,000 people watched the live stream, which was just like, just blew my mind. And I was thinking, people really want want to talk about this stuff. So I think it's really good. Like the music industry is definitely offering a lot more support in terms of like conversation and destigmatization and creating more of a tolerant environment. But I feel like the long-term changes need to go way back 20 years earlier before you start getting suicidal adults or teenagers. Like we need to teach our kids from the very beginning that they are enough and that no matter what emotions they feel they are still good enough they're still ultra worthy ultra valid and loved could we go back to your experience of like trolling and online abuse could you tell me a bit more about that like what it's like as an artist to to have that very direct kind of abusive experience yeah i mean i'd got really used to it because you get a lot of criticism and anyone who's done anything that's good, whether it's on a really small scale, like performing in the school show or talent show or something, or if you've been on primetime TV, like I've got used to that. If you do something good, then yes, you'll probably get a bunch of praise, but you also get a bunch of hate and that's horribly, but part of it really, because people get jealous. And so I'd kind of got used to it and I'd kind of, I try not to read the comments or definitely wouldn't, I stopped Googling my name after I'd been on telly and stuff like that because that's just really brutal. And I'd kind of learned that. But yeah, the, the abuse I got about mental health really hit me a lot harder because what they were telling me, like uh, I just got a bunch of tweets from someone saying that I'd stooped really low and that um, depression and suicide were like evolution's way of weeding out inadequate men who weren't fit to reproduce. The reason why that hit me a lot harder than the kind of negative stuff I'd seen before was it just felt like they'd said what I actually believed whereas like a few YouTube comments comparing me to other beatboxers or whatever like that's not so scary whereas something that hit hit me right in my own kind of fear spot was much more dangerous. Did you get any support for that experience? 
I was lucky because I'd already been talking about mental health, so I had people checking in. And when someone happened to check in just as I was really reeling, I was able to talk about it. And then that gave me the strength to rather than A, argue with the troll, or B, just try and suck it up or be a man or whatever you might be tempted to try and do, like be macho about it. I just decided to share what had happened. So I just said, look, I just posted up the next day and I said, I've been attacked by my mental health and it's really upset me, but I'm going to react with more vulnerability and I'm going to share more. And, and I posted this story that I hadn't, uh, I'd written, but I hadn't shared about how I'd been struggling with PTSD and how that had happened and uh, this childhood experience I'd had when I was four and I'd had a, like a near-death experience. And that was really scary to talk about it, but I think that was really key because that moment when I shared that I'd been attacked, I think my immediate crowd became very protective and wanted to share that. And then that would then reach their network and then they'd feel protective and then that would reach their, they'd share that and that would reach their ne network and that's how it went viral. Yeah, the support kind of snowballed, but if I hadn't kind of had that moment where someone had checked in with me, I don't think I'd have had the strength to talk about what had happened. I would have ended up absorbing it and believing it really was my fault and something that I deserved punishing for. So the greatest support you got in that experience was also from social media. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. If it hadn't been for social media, I wouldn't have had that support. I wouldn't have had that moment where I was in a really bad place and my phone pinged with someone saying, hey, are you okay? I know things are hard at the moment. That's all it said. And if I hadn't already used social media to express the fact that I was at risk, then that wouldn't have happened. So can you give me any tips if I want to start being a bit more vulnerable online? Like, how do you just like dip your toe in the water with it and just say, okay, I'm going to try and be a bit more real? What, what, do you, what can you do first of all? Some of the temptation can be to just like only show like real positivity or real success. So like, for example, I stopped posting a picture of me in front of a massive crowd and saying how great it was. And I started posting a picture of me in front of a massive crowd and saying how I was grateful for it happening. But also these are some of the things that I found really hard about it because I went on stage that day, we lost an unborn child a while back and I had a really hard time trying to perform through that experience. So I'd be like, maybe I could talk a bit about how that felt trying to go on stage and make people happy when you're not feeling like you're happy yourself so that's some tips are just to be real just to to share like you don't have to say anything like huge you can just tell people what's hard like do you know what I mean maybe you're having a hard time in your family or with some friendships or with your relationship with yourself or maybe it's just something smaller like you're struggling to quit smoking or I don't know what it is but like the more you can share, the more other people will be able to support you with it and also the safer they will feel. Because I think a lot of times I'm, I get asked, like, how can I start to be more supportive to the people around me who are struggling with their mental health, but they're not talking about it? And I always say, if you talk vulnerably about what you're going through, that sends a very clear signal to the people who are hearing that, that you are okay with it. You aren't going to judge or dismiss or minimise someone else's problems if you're showing that you're happy to talk about your own and then that makes you appear stronger not weaker if you're able to be vulnerable that makes you seem approachable and human and not someone who's going to hide behind a mask 
Is there any advice that you'd give to an artist that's just starting out now in terms of how to look after their mental health? I'd say try and make sure you have a real balance in your life. So it can be really hard to do that, especially when you're touring and it can become completely all-consuming. But if you can carve out some you time that has nothing to do with other people, nothing to do with so-called success, nothing to do with like music and, and fame, and just go and go for a walk or do some exercise or do some yoga or some meditation or draw a picture or speak to someone who you love, like anything you can do that is for you, even if it's just five minutes, if you just build that into a habitual routine that you do no matter how hectic your life is, that would really build a feeling that you can look after yourself and that you are enough. Like, And then you're so much better equipped for the roller coaster that you're going to be on. Like, That's totally normal. And then you can enjoy that roller coaster because you know that when the show ends, you aren't going to come crashing down. You're going to safely walk down the steps rather than fall off the end of the ledge. And you can, because you've got that grounding, you've got that, belief that you can look after yourself and that you are enough by yourself oh, that's such good advice that's such good advice um and just finally like you know you've had a really challenging time in your career but could you tell me one thing that you love about your music career i love the fact that being an artist means that i get to live my life on my own terms like i get to choose what i do next and how i do it and who i work with and I don't think I could live a different way, like working for someone else. I think I'd I'd really struggle with that. So I've I've loved that fact. And also the other thing is that I really love the fact that music and performing, I do it for my own pleasure and enjoyment, but I really love how much it brings to other people's lives. So I do I've started doing this show for families and then I ended up making it into a show about well being, even without anyone really needing to know that. But I kind of talk about like following your dream and believing in yourself. And I get these emails all the time, which just fill me with pride about how the show has helped the whole family, like that's inspired the parents to feel like they can, it's not too late for them to start doing what they want with their lives. And also a lot of kids who've been having a tricky time, the show really seems to resonate with them as well. And then that just fills me with joy and pride. Like I love that feeling. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Esco Slomo. It's been so interesting talking to you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This episode of the Elevate Music podcast is supported by Help Musicians, an independent charity that's been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. If you find any of the topics covered in this episode particularly difficult, remember you can always reach out for support from your GP or a local mental health crisis team. You can also get urgent or immediate help from organisations such as the Samaritans, Mind or Calm should you need to. Remember that Music Minds Matter is always there as a listening ear for whatever you're going through. And you'll find links to these organisations as well as other essential resources in the show notes for the episode. Thank you to PhD researcher Geordie Shenton, who recommended our podcast on Twitter. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Elevate Music Pod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can get in touch at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com. Now let's hear from Stephen Buckley, the head of information at the mental health charity Mind. Mine's the leading mental health charity in the UK, and we work to make sure that everyone with a mental health problem gets both support and respect. We've got a network of about 120 independent local minds, and they deliver community services to the people who live in their area. At a national level, we campaign for change. We try and hold the government to account when that's necessary. 
And we also provide some national support service as well, including a, a helpline where people can ask questions about their mental health. So can you tell me a bit about those community support services? Each local mine will run its own services depending on what the need of the local community is. But there might be a variety of things available. For example, some might offer CBT or some other kind of counselling intervention, perhaps through the IAP programme. Some will perhaps just have dropping centres, perhaps just have befriending mornings. It really depends. It's always worthwhile getting in touch with a local mind if that's what you're interested in, just to see exactly what they can help you with. And if people also visit the Mind website, we've got a whole kind of range of information and self-care tips that can help with those kinds of mental health issues. So could you tell me a bit about those self-care tips? Mental health is health. You know, so some of the kind of self-care tips that we might recommend for people who are kind of struggling with anxiety or depression are very similar to the kind of things that you might expect if someone is uh, being told they perhaps need to look after their physical health a bit better. So some of those things might be make sure you eat properly, you've got a good and balanced diet, that you try and get enough sleep, make sure you drink enough water, perhaps sort of reduce or keep an eye on the levels of alcohol you're drinking, the levels of sugary drink and caffeine, getting some exercise and taking some time out for you as well, if possible, to concentrate on what's important for you from time to time. Those kinds of things are kind of foundation to having a mentally healthy lifestyle, I think. It's really interesting because the things that you just mentioned there, they're the things that can often slide quite easily, I think, when a musician's on tour. Obviously, in SK Shlomo's interview, we heard that touring was quite a problematic time for his mental health, both while he was on tour and when he came home. Do you have any advice for musicians about how they can protect their mental health when they're on the road and how, when they come back? Yeah, it can be really tricky, can't it? Because some of those things that I've, I've just spoken about are perhaps harder to do. I guess some factors have been on tour that are kind of uh, counterproductive in some way. So someone might be working irregular hours. You might be away from kind of your support, you know, your partner or your close friends. You might find it harder to eat the kind of things that you want to eat. You'll perhaps be under a lot of pressure. You'll be in slightly strange surroundings and doing a lot of travelling. And at one level, I'm going to assume that your time isn't your own, that you're working to someone else's timeline and finding those 10 minutes for yourself each day might be really difficult. It's coming back to those kinds of pieces of self-care tips that do what you can to make sure that your diet is good. Keep an eye on kind of things like alcohol or drugs or caffeine and, and sugar, those kinds of things. And it might be really hard if you're working late at night, but sleep is really, really important to good mental health. And wherever possible, if you can find 10, 15 minutes in each day, take some time out, do what's important to you, whether that's sit quietly, whether that's doing perhaps a little bit of meditation, whether that's staying in touch with people back home, try and protect that time and use it for you. SK Shlomo spoke about social media and how he sometimes had a a really problematic relationship with it and he'd have to delete the apps to protect his mental health. Can you tell me a bit about what you see in your work with the role of social media in terms of mental health? Social media and mental health can be a really complex relationship. I think there's perhaps a, a little bit of a temptation at the minute in the media to demonise it. I'm trying to sort of not do that and I'm going to start with some of the positive things that, that we see. Some of those focus on the ability of giving people a voice you know, social media has been incredibly powerful for some people with mental health problems to talk about their experience in a way that makes sense to them. It enables people to connect with other people with very similar and shared experiences and overcome that kind of stigma and isolation that many people feel. And also on a practical level, it's a great place that you can look for and ask for support from other people. 
mind run our own kind of social media support forum for people with mental health problems and some of the conversations and exchanges that go on there are incredible you know people use it to rehearse coming out to their family for example about their mental health and people who would otherwise feel incredibly isolated will recognize that they're not alone so it can be an incredibly powerful thing but equally we do need to take account of things like the amount of time that it might take. Are you disconnecting from relationships with your friends or family members or work colleagues? Are you spending a bit too much time looking at a screen, which can have an impact on, on how you sleep and how you rest? And I think as well in the sort of the context of musicians, there must be pressure to sort of cultivate a, a social media presence, which is, which is your brand. It enables you to be present and available to your fans. That must put a significant amount of pressure on you as an individual to keep that persona going on, online. I know SK Shlomo said that he found it very difficult to admit to people that he was experiencing problems. Is this common, do you think? It's more common than we'd like it to be. And I think for lots of reasons, it seems to be more difficult for men to seek help. It's incredible the number of men that we talk to at Mind who are aware that they're struggling with their mental health, but find it almost impossible to reach out and ask for support and help. And, you know, I think it's, it's a pretty typical experience, really. And we looked at some of the users of our helpline in the last year and, and we asked them how they found out about our service, how they found the use of our service, that kind of thing. And one of the things that was really striking was Mind was often the first people that uh, someone sought support from. And it perhaps took people around six months to make that first contact with us, which is an incredible amount of time, really, just to, to hold and sit with the fact that you think your mental health's deteriorating or not in a good place, to wait for six months before asking for help. That's quite a period of time. And, you know, mental health is like other health problems or, you know, other problems more generally. The longer you leave it, generally speaking, the harder it is to, to figure out what's happening and how to fix it. So it's really important that people do ask for help you know, when they become aware that their mental health is struggling. Could you tell me a bit about Mind's relationship with the music industry? Mind has done a fair bit with employers over the last few years, helping people and employers understand about how they can support their employees with their mental health. We've also done a, a, some work more recently with the music industry, whether there are some parallels with our work with employers, but in some places it's, it's pretty different. I think the key things that it's, it's worth talking about is our relationship with Brit School and the Brit Trust. The Brit Trust have very kindly donated quite a large amount of money to us recently to pilot some mental health works across schools in England and Wales. We're working with pupils, working with teachers and non-teaching staff and governors to promote a kind of a whole school community way of talking about and supporting with mental health problems. And recently we've also done some work with Sony. They have very generously nominated Mind as their charity of the year, so they've, they've very kindly donated some money to us. And we're also supporting Sony, thinking about how they can work with their employees for Sony to become a mentally healthy workplace. And I think when it comes to musicians, I think that question of sort of employer and employees is a really interesting one to try and tease out because it's not, you know, you, you don't necessarily have a manager in quite the same way as, for example, I've got a manager or you don't come into a place of work in the same way, for example, I come into a place of work. So I think it, it needs a bit more thinking through, well, what does it mean to be a professional musician and how do the people around you best support you in that fairly unique context? Could you tell me a little bit about the signs that suggest that people need help? You know, if someone's in a band and what things could they be looking out for to suggest that their bandmates might be struggling? That's a good question. And obviously it will vary from individual to individual. 
and it starts from a place of having to know someone quite well. But I think the things that someone might keep an eye out for are sort of marked changes in behaviour, particularly if someone becomes very withdrawn when normally they're quite chatty and friendly, if someone becomes very withdrawn. Equally, if someone is generally a kind of fairly quiet person, if, if their behaviour becomes more outgoing, that might be a, a sign that something's not quite right for that individual. I think it's always worthwhile keeping an eye on how someone eats, how they drink and how they sleep. You know, again, if someone is noticing changes in those kinds of behaviours, that might also be a sign that uh, someone's finding their mental health difficult. You know, and, and if you notice those signs, you can have that chat with someone. It doesn't need to be a, a heavy mental health question. You can just ask how someone's doing, you know, how are things going for you at the minute? And I think once you have asked that open question, it's important that you listen to the answer respectfully and without judgment. That individual might not want to talk about what they're experiencing. You can't pull them down that road if they want to go there. Equally, they might want to disclose something quite difficult to you. So if you do ask that kind of open question, you know, sit back and listen to the answer and respond appropriately. And to continue that, how can those around the person who's struggling look after themselves? You know, is there any support out there for friends, family and co-workers? Yeah, I think it's really important to think about the role you want to play with someone else and their mental health. A key question someone might ask, want to ask themselves is, do I want to be a carer for this person? You know, because in some relationships that might be entirely appropriate and the right thing to do. In other relationships, it might not be. So I think it's important for someone supporting someone else to think through a few things and that might be stuff like recognising there are practical things you can do for someone. You know, you perhaps, for example, would say, I can come to an appointment with you if you like, or I can help you with some you know, specific tasks that you're struggling to do at, at this point in time. I can be there for you as a friend and I can listen to you. But there are things that you, you, know, you might not be able to do or might not want to do. You might not want to take on someone's uh, emotional distress you can't fix someone's problems for them. You can help them and support them, but you need to recognise that they're a grown-up, they can make their own decisions as well. You know, it comes back to the point about being self-aware. If you become aware that actually having, you know, supporting someone is, is being difficult for you, take some time out, you know, take that time for yourself again and don't take too much on. And finally, could you tell me how people listening can access Mind Services? People can access my services in a variety of ways. If people go to mind.org.uk, we've got a directory of local minds, so people can look for a local mind that's, that's close to them. We've got uh, a range of kind of information materials that can help people understand a little bit more about what they might be experiencing. Included in that is a range of people's kind of direct stories. So I think it's a really nice way of putting into context what mental health is like for people. And often people who, who come to our website find that the, the most helpful and most inspiring part because in, for some people it's, a, it's the first message of hope they've ever had really that someone has gone through something similar, found help and support and now is able to get on with their life. We've also got things like the Mind Info line and the Mind Legal line and Ellie Friends which is our digital peer support community and again details of how to access those can be found on mind.org.uk. And what is the number for the helpline? It's 0300 123 and it's open Monday to Friday, 9 till 6. Stephen, thank you very much. Thank you, Lucy. If you need help with any of the issues that have been raised in today's episode, you'll find links and signposts to all the services that SK Shlomo and Stephen mentioned in the podcast description. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And you can get in touch with us on social media at Elevate Music Pod on Twitter and Instagram. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Listen in partnership with Help Musicians. Thank you for listening and see you next time.